Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark, the fourth chapter, verses 30 through 32. Hear now the word of our Lord. Jesus said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. This is the Word of God. May it find its way to our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, we focus on the image of a tree of nurture. Uh, see, um, these past two Sundays, we've been talking about uh, different visions of, uh, of the church, of what the church is to do and be in the world that we find in the Gospel of Mark. Two Sundays ago, we talked about how the church is a house of worship and how we're called in our worship to remove every obstacle between people and the feet of Jesus. Last uh, Sunday, we talked about how the church is called to be a boat of witness. Like it's not enough um, just to, to hope that people wander into our doors, but that we need to go meet people where they're at and bring Jesus to other people. Now, the danger is that um, if you stop with these two images, you might get the impression that um, all the church is supposed to do and be in the world is, um, is, is about bringing people to Jesus or bringing Jesus to people. Um, in other words, saving souls, evangelizing, getting people to sign on the dogged lying and become Christians. And while um, coming to Jesus is a necessary first step it's only the beginning of the Christian journey. And our job as a church is, um, is to nurture disciples and to facilitate their growth. And so that means, yes, bringing people to Jesus and bringing Jesus to people, uh, but it also uh, means walking alongside them and helping them grow on their journey as disciples. So this morning, we're going to consider the image of a tree, a tree as a metaphor for discipleship for how the church fulfills its purpose by helping disciples to grow upward and outward. Now, as we reflect on the tree, uh, on the church as a tree of nurture, I'd like to begin with another parable involving trees. This one's a wisdom story from India. See, there was a father that had two sons. And he was trying to decide which of his sons that uh, was going to receive the lion's share of his inheritance. Um, who could be trusted um, with the responsibility that would come with that? And so he wanted to test his two sons' wisdom. So what he did was he put each of them in charge of a mango tree. He said to each of his sons, um, you're in charge of this tree for an entire year. And at the end of the year, um, I'm going to come and see how you've taken care of the tree, um, uh, how healthy it is, um, what its fruit is like. Now, the more foolish of the two sons um, immediately began to get to work. 
uh, he, he, was, he was eager to impress his father with how hard he was working and how good a job he was doing. And so every morning he would get up before the sun was up and, uh, and he would take his ladder and he would uh, lean against the mango tree and he would go uh, with his watering can and he would water every single leaf on that tree. It took him hours. Well, um, after a couple months of this, uh, he began to notice that the trees, uh, that the leaves on the tree were, were drying up and that the branches were getting, uh, were getting uh, tough and brittle. So he redoubled his effort. He worked twice as hard, uh, making sure that he watered every single leaf on the tree every day. Yet the tree's health began to decline. And he watched um, uh, as his brother, uh, the wiser of the two, uh, would come out every day and, uh, and wouldn't spend that much time at all, maybe 15 minutes. He'd come out with his watering can and he would circle the tree a couple of times, watering the roots. In the end, the wise son's tree was healthy and it produced rich, delicious fruit. While the foolish, uh, the foolish son's tree was bare and brittle. See, one of the sons busied himself with activity the other attended to the things that truly matter. Now I started with this story because this morning we're talking about discipleship. And it's easy to hear discipleship and think what we're talking about is more, more, right? More activities, more Bible studies, more programs. But I would submit to you that um, this more is better approach, this um, let's climb the ladder and, and, and water every single leaf approach has led to unhealthy, shallow churches. See, the past 30 years um, has seen a shift in the church, uh, a shift towards something uh, called program-oriented ministry. And the basic idea of a program-oriented ministry is this. It's this idea that the church exists to answer felt needs. And, uh, and the answer to every felt need is a new program. And so if a church is looking out against congregation and it sees that it has teenagers, um, then, uh, then it says, let's make a youth program. Or it, says, it sees that it has singles. It says, well, let's make a program for singles. It sees that there's hunger in its community. It says, let's make a pantry or a soup kitchen. Right? And so um, as, as, as the church looks out and sees all of these needs, the programs begin to multiply. And the result is a burnt out, exhausted church. That is all activity, all, uh, all, all, all climbing the ladder and watering every single need individually, but isn't paying attention to the roots, is neglecting the basics. Over the past 30 years, uh, the church has become so busy that it's forgotten how to pray and it's forgotten how to teach others to pray. Uh, prayer becomes this thing that, uh, that we encourage and we say, you should do it at home and you, you should pray uh, about the church. But we don't 
meet and intentionally pray together. And we don't uh, teach uh, our young to pray by modeling it, by, by showing them how it's done. In a program-oriented church, instead of, uh, instead of teaching people how to read the Bible, how to, as John Wesley said, to search the Scriptures, um, we try to meet felt needs by offering interest-based Bible studies. Right? A finance Bible study, a Bible study for weight loss, a Bible study on parenting. And so uh, we get so busy telling people what the Bible says about X, that we're not training people how to find X for themselves. And so the result is, uh, is biblical literacy, illiteracy is at an all-time high. Um, uh, the people doing the Bible teaching in the churches are more and more dependent on literature and, and, and DVDs. Probably the worst result of this, uh, of, of, of this, this, this latter mentality is that as churches, we began to value doing over being. We've lost a true sense of connection. Uh, fellowship has become uh, uh, something we do, a meal before or after an event, and not who we are. And as a result of sort of dividing people, you know, um, having a youth ministry over here, children's ministry over here, singles ministry over here, uh, seniors ministry over here, we've created a church culture in which the people in the church don't really know each other. As a result, we, we've got a generation that's leaving the church in droves because they have no authentic uh, connection to their neighbors in the church. See, the 30-year experiment, this 30 years of, of climbing the ladder and, 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 and meeting each need individually, this experiment has failed. This latter mindset has resulted in a shallow, unhealthy church. And yet, and yet we keep trudging up the ladder because we're convinced that there's no other way. But in our passage this morning, Jesus offers us a powerful, contrasting vision of discipleship. He talks about a seed that grows into a tree, upward, and outward. Talks about discipleship is something that begins small. Talks about um, a tree that grows up and then grows out with its branches, providing shade to others. Upward towards God and out to others. It's an image of discipleship that values connection above all else. It's an image that we find um, in the first psalm. Blessing is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that singers take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. 
whatever they do prospers. This is an image of deep discipleship. We, we see a picture in the psalm of someone who's surrounded by the right people. Right? They're not um, chasing after scoffers or singers, not doing the things they do, but, but they're, they're surrounded with people that are going to encourage them and upbuild them. They have true, meaningful connections. We see someone that's spending their time connecting with God, praying, searching the scriptures. It says he meditates on God's law day and night. And what is this person like according to Psalm? They're like a tree being fed at the roots by an inexhaustible supply of living water. This is a vision of discipleship that speaks of simplicity, attendance to the things that matter. See, the antidote to a shallow, unhealthy church is a church that grows deep disciples. Now understand, I am not against new programs. No, I, I spent uh, uh, the first part of my life running a youth program, and I'm proud of the work that I did. But what I want you to understand is that a program, uh, for the sake of a program, solves nothing. None of that matters. No new program, no new idea matters if we neglect the basics. Connection with God and connection with each other. These are the roots of deep discipleship. This parable tells us that it's okay to be small. Our circuit is made up of three small churches. This is a parable about, about a small uh, doing incredible things. And I want us to flourish and grow upward and outward. But as we do so, we don't need to take on the bad habits of these large program-oriented churches. We need to stay true to, to our values of connecting to God and connecting to others. Right? We, we need to teach the next generation how to pray by modeling prayer, by praying alongside them, by, by, by giving them um, the resources they need to have a, a rich interior prayer life. We need to have Bible studies that uh, are not about um, meeting felt needs, about you know, uh, what the Bible says about X, but that actually teach people how to search the Scripture how to, uh, uh, to know the way around the Bible and know what's in the Bible so they can solve for X themselves. And we need, we need to recover our sense of fellowship, our sense of connection with one another. We need to be building bridges between generations. Instead of siloing people off in their own groups, we need to uh, uh, be, uh, be, be creating opportunities for, for generations to, to worship together and learn together. We need to take seriously what we call in youth ministry the three-to-one rule. The three-to-one rule goes like this. Um, every, uh, every study done on why uh, teenagers graduate from high school and then leave the church has said this. A teenager that has three non-parent, three non-parent 
Christian mentors in their life is 90% more likely to stick with church after they graduate. We need to make sure that all of our young people are surrounded by Christian adult role models. We need to be supporting each other. Um, small churches are great at this. Um, uh, 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 you know, uh, coming back a house with casseroles and, um, and, and praying for each other and writing letters to each other. We need to recover um, uh, the idea of, of deep covenant, of, of, of doing life together. The early Methodist movement had these things called class meetings. And what they would do is they would, uh, they would meet in each other's homes, maybe, uh, maybe about 12 people. And they would sit in a circle. And each person at the meeting would answer the question, how is it with your soul? And, uh, and they would encourage each other, challenge each other, and pray for each other. All around this question, how is it with your soul? What is God doing in your life? this week? What if everything we did together, every meeting, every project, every ministry, what if everything we did we used as an opportunity to connect, to connect to God and to connect to others? What difference do you suppose it would make in this sad and disconnected world to be a church that grows deep disciples. Now, I love pancakes. I love pancakes. My kids love pancakes. Um, the only one in the house that doesn't really like pancakes uh, um, is my wife. She tolerates them. Now, the kids and I love to go to IHOP. Uh, that's the International House of Pancakes. Uh, we love to go to IHOP, and, uh, and, and Crystal doesn't like it so much. So whenever we get to call the shots, um, the kids and I usually pick IHOP, and we go to IHOP. Well, one day, we were at the International House of Pancakes, and um, I was trying to decide between um, two really absurd concoctions, right? <laughs> Um, I think it was like a honey bun stack uh, flavored uh, stack of pancakes and a cinnamon roll flavored stack of pancakes. I mean, they were just both these, uh, these sticky, gooey uh, combinations of carbs and sugar. And I was trying to decide between the two of them. And I asked the waitress, um, which of these is the best? Which of these will I like the most? And the waitress just sort of looked at me and said, I've never really tried them. I don't like pancakes. The waitress at the International House of Pancakes didn't like pancakes. Now listen, I know everyone doesn't have a job they're passionate about, and some people do the nine to five and they come home to things they're passionate about. I get that. But the point I'm trying to make is that if we're serious about nurturing deep disciples, we have to make sure we're not like that waitress. We can't be selling a, a tall, syrupy stack of something we've never tried. In other words, if you're going to foster a connection between other people and God, you need to pay attention to your own devotion time, 
your own prayer life, your own study of Scripture. Now, if you're going to, uh, to, to try and create connections between other people and the church, make sure you've got those own connections in your own life, that you're surrounding yourself with, uh, with people who will encourage you and, and, and build you up, and that you're reaching out to your neighbors in love. In other words, don't be the waitress that doesn't like pancakes. Don't be the Sunday school teacher that doesn't really like the Bible. Don't be the weak link in the prayer chain. St. Francis of Assisi famously said, Preach the gospel always. Occasionally, use words. In other words, let people catch you living the things you are teaching. And they will want to emulate you and let their roots grow deep. Now, if this all seems like a lot of pressure, I've got some good news. Churches don't cause growth. You cannot cause growth. God causes growth. Now, we can make the conditions right. We can prepare the soil, but, but there's something that happens under the ground that God is in charge of, that God does. God does the growing. Why don't you take a closer look at our parable? Jesus said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Now, there's a small problem with this parable. It's kind of embarrassing. The mustard tree is not the largest garden plant. Not in Israel, not anywhere. The mustard tree is more accurately described as a shrub. Now, if it's, if, it's, if it's really healthy and it's got a lot going for it, then it can grow up to five feet tall. But even then, there's not much room for the, the birds to perch beneath its shade. Uh, it really doesn't have those big branches to spread out. Now, what do we make of this? Um, do we determine that Jesus just didn't know much about mustard trees? Where Jesus grew up, there were mustard trees everywhere. Jesus knew what a mustard tree looked like. See, I think Jesus in this parable is providing us a vision of something miraculous. See, this parable is about God taking the ordinary small thing and creating something extraordinary something supernatural, something beyond what we believe is possible, something only God can do. For us, we have to be patient and trust in God's timing. 
See, I can testify that, that God can do amazing things in people's lives, that God can work a change that we never thought possible, that, that God can, 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 can move a human being beyond the constraints that, 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 that sin has put on them and, 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 and have them blossom into, into tr truly amazing human beings. But God does that. All we can do is come alongside them and help prepare the way to be patient and to trust. See, being a tree of nurture is about attending to the things that matter and trusting God with the result. See, maybe if we're planted by streams of living water, we don't have to keep climbing on that ladder every day and watering every single leaf. St. Patrick was a real person. He was someone uh, that, that there's all kinds of fantastic, fantastical stories about, but he was a real person. He was someone who believed in nurturing others and helping them grow in discipleship. Now, he did indeed spread Christianity all throughout Ireland, but he did it patiently, one community at a time, over a lifetime. There's a story I love about St. Patrick. The legend tells of him that he came to a small village in a place called Cambria, and he shared the gospel. Now, Patrick had this habit that when he preached, um, he, he had this walking stick, and he would just plant this walking stick in the ground, and he would lean on it, and he would preach. Well, he came to this town, he gathered everyone around, and he planted his walking stick in the ground, and he leaned on it and began to share the gospel. He told the people all about Jesus, his life. Um, he told them about all the scriptures that he fulfilled, and then he told them about his death and resurrection, and how if they believed in that and they became Christian, that they could have eternal life. And after he was done proclaiming the gospel, everyone there wanted to be baptized and become Christians. But they had questions. Lots of them. They needed to know more about Jesus. They, needed to, they didn't understand the Apostles' Creed or the Trinity. They had questions about all of it. So St. Patrick stood there leaning against his staff and he patiently answered all of their questions. For days and weeks and months, he just stood there leaning against his staff, patiently explaining to the people everything that they needed to know, teaching them how to pray, nurturing them, helping them become true disciples. Then when Patrick was satisfied that Christianity had truly been established in the town and he was ready to leave, he discovered that his walking stick wouldn't budge. See, while he had been standing, it had taken root and it had begun to flower and it had formed into a tree. A tree that, according to legend, you can still to see to this day in Ireland. It's called Espatria, the ash of St. Patrick. Where have you planted yourself? Who has God put in your shade?
Are you willing to nurture others into deep discipleship? Are you willing to lead by your example to help people forge connections with God and with others? Are you willing to wait as long as it takes for God to do the growing? If so, join me. Let us plant ourselves right here where we're at by streams of living water. Let us be trees of nurture with roots buried deep in the earth and limbs stretching to heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.